AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. March 30th, 1981. It's morning. The weather is gray and rainy in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. An overweight 25-year-old white man with straight brown hair sits down at a desk in room 312 of the Park Central Hotel. Near him are two suitcases that hold everything important to his life and mission. In one suitcase, there's a Best Western Road Atlas, two pairs of underwear, some shirts, and some jeans. There are also magazine clippings and photographs of the woman he loves more than life itself. The woman in question, the teenage actress Jodie Foster, does not return that love. But that's okay. John Hinckley Jr. has a plan. In the other suitcase, there's a 22 caliber double-action revolver and 37 rounds of ammunition. Hinckley calmly pulls out a blue pen and a yellow legal pad and sits before a big mirror overlooking the desk. Dear Jody, the letter begins. There is a definite probability that I will be killed. It's for this very reason that I'm writing you this letter now. There is a note of urgency to Hinckley's words. I will admit to you that the reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I just cannot wait any longer to impress you. Hinckley has finally figured out how he can win the love and attention of Jodie Foster. He concludes, Jodie, I'm asking you to please look into your heart and at least give me the chance, with this historical deed, to gain your respect and love. I love you forever. John Hinckley He folds the letter into thirds and stuffs it into an envelope labeled Jody Foster. Then John Hinckley Jr. reaches for his gun, places it in his coat pocket, and leaves his hotel to shoot the President of the United States. I am nothing. You are wind and water and sky. Jody, tell me, Jody. 
I'm Sean Braswell, and welcome to The Thread. This season, we look at some of history's most notorious criminal defendants who are linked by a common theme, the insanity defense. So what's our thread so far? In episode one, we covered the trial of the Aurora movie theater gunman, James Holmes. Holmes was clearly mentally ill, but it was not enough for him to be found legally insane. One of the reasons that defendants like James Holmes have a tough time proving legal insanity today was the public outcry that followed earlier high-profile cases. Cases like Lorena Bobbitt's. Bobbitt, as we saw in episode two, was acquitted for cutting off the penis of her husband John, despite widespread public belief that she was guilty of a crime. But the case that really outraged the American public came a decade before the Bobbitt soap opera. John Hinckley Jr.'s attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan rocked the world. So did his later acquittal. Hinckley claimed he wanted to impress the actress Jodie Foster. He was obsessed with her. He later described his historic deed as the greatest love offering in the history of the world. Hinckley's lawyers claimed such thoughts were the product of a delusional mind, and the assassin's landmark trial would test the bounds of the insanity defense as never before. The initial news reports about the attempt on Ronald Reagan's life were murky. As we reported moments ago, there were shots fired just as President Reagan emerged from the Washington Hilton Hotel today after delivering a speech. Further Reagan was rushed from the hotel to George Washington University Hospital. President Reagan walked into the hospital under his own power uh, and is said to have been uh, conversing with people inside the hospital. Few outside the hospital had any idea about the severity of his actual condition. The president had a life-threatening gunshot wound. President Reagan is in surgery. He has been there since about 4 o'clock Eastern time. Doctors reportedly discovered that his left lung was partially collapsed and that there was blood in the chest cavity. We're told that the president kept his sense of humor, that he was conscious on the way into the operating room, that he was accompanied also by his wife, Nancy Reagan, and the president is quoted as telling her, honey, I guess I just forgot to duck. The man who shot Reagan was tackled at the scene and taken into custody. The gunman, the alleged gunman, I guess I still have to keep saying, has been identified as uh, one John W. Hinckley, Jr., who was 22 years old, from Evergreen, Colorado. Hinckley is barely remembered at Highland Park High School, where he graduated in 1973. His picture is in the yearbook, a neatly dressed young man, but teachers had trouble recalling anything about him. One classmate said he just sort of blended in. Hinckley was the son of a rich oil executive. This is Andrea Alden, author of Disorder in the Court, Morality, Myth, and the Insanity Defense. He was fortunate to be the child of um, a pretty wealthy family, so they had a lot of resources to care for him, and he spent a lot of time um, getting, you know, being treated by psychiatrists, being on medication, etc. Um, his troubles seemed to emerge, you know, in his teen years. Um, he had trouble socially, he had trouble academically, he was kind of a loner. Still, Hinckley was not violent or aggressive with others. This is from an interview that his parents gave to reporter Barbara Walters in 1983. Was he ever violent? Oh, no. The gentlest child, never any violence. Well, first of all, he didn't date, start dating girls in junior high and high school, and his, his, what boyfriends he had uh, did start dating girls, so he lost his boyfriends and and never acquired girlfriends. And he just withdrew into his room and started playing guitar and listening to Beatle records all alone. And uh, that was the way he spent a great deal of his time. 
In the late 1970s, Hinckley developed a new obsession. According to sources, John Hinckley Jr., the accused gunman, may have tried to kill Mr. Reagan because of an infatuation with a young actress. He uh, had a, a vivid fantasy life. This is Lincoln Kaplan, a senior research scholar at Yale Law School and author of The Insanity Defense and the Trial of John W. Hinckley Jr. He became obsessed with the movie uh, Taxi Driver, uh, made by Martin Scorsese in 1976 and starring Robert De Niro and Jodie Foster. Taxi Driver was the disturbing story of Travis Bickle, a man who, after being spurned by a pretty woman, purchases an arsenal of weapons and plots the assassination of a U.S. presidential candidate. Here's Robert De Niro as Bickle. Listen, you f***ers, you screwheads. Here's a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the f***ers, the dogs, the filth, the shit. Here is someone who stood up. Hinckley saw the movie at least 15 times. He began keeping a diary and buying guns. And, like the Travis Bickle character, Hinckley developed an unhealthy fixation with the film's pretty teenage prostitute played by Jodie Foster. Somehow the Hinkley delusions got kind of mashed up between the film and the reality. So he became deeply obsessed with the real-life actor Jodie Foster um, and obsessed with establishing some sort of contact with her. Yesterday it emerged that Hinkley had written a lot of letters to the 19-year-old actress who starred in the movie Taxi Driver. Miss Foster, a freshman at Yale University, gave a press conference to discuss them. Without, without getting specific, was he threatening, amorous? What was he like? I'm not allowed to say. Um, I, I believe that it's, you know, that the, the letters were assumed to have been, you know, love type letters. Hinkley went to New Haven, Connecticut to try to find Foster at Yale. He summoned the courage to call her on the phone, and he recorded those conversations. They are halting, awkward, and somewhat creepy. Oh, no, not you again. Look, I really can't talk to you, okay? But did... Do me a really big favor. You understand why I can't, you know, carry on these conversations with people I don't know. You understand that it's dangerous and it's just not done, it's not fair, and it's rude. Oh, all right. Hinkley responds, "Well, I'm not dangerous, but influenced by Taxi Driver, the spurned Hinkley was becoming dangerous." Somehow, the connection between the film and the presidential candidate led him to decide that in order to get Jodie Foster's attention. He needed to assassinate the president. Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as the 40th president of the United States in January 1981. The former actor and governor of California did not get off to a good start. By March of that year, he had the lowest approval rating of any modern president at that early stage of his term. That was about to change. One of the items on the president's schedule on that fateful morning of March 30th was a speech to a trade union group at the Washington Hilton Hotel. You and your forebears built our nation. Now, please help us rebuild it. The day before Reagan's speech, John Hinckley was out walking the streets of Washington, D.C. He had stopped at the nation's capital on his way up to Yale, where he planned to end his own life. That day, he stopped by a McDonald's and ate an Egg McMuffin. On the way back to his hotel, he picked up a newspaper. In the, the Washington Star, which was then a newspaper in, in, in the Capitol, he saw the president's schedule. It said the president would be at the Washington Hilton at 2 p.m. to deliver a speech. 
Hinckley fantasized about another way of committing suicide, one that could draw a lot more attention to himself. And he developed that plan that uh, this, this, this was the way he resolved uh, uh, his uncertainty about the best way to, to gain the fame uh, that he sought to get Jodie Foster's attention. Hinckley returned to his hotel and started to make plans. As it happens, one of the books he brought with him on his trip and read intensely was The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Four months earlier, Hinckley's favorite musician, the former Beatle John Lennon, was gunned down in front of his New York City apartment building. Those of you who listened to season one of The Thread will recall that The Catcher in the Rye was also the book that Lennon's killer, Mark David Chapman, was reading at the crime scene when he was apprehended by police. Hinckley loaded his gun, a small revolver, in his hotel room. He stashed it in the right pocket of his jacket and placed a John Lennon pin into another pocket. Hinckley left his hotel and hailed a cab to take him to the Hilton. He, like Chapman, was about to leave his own mark on history. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. HelloFresh makes cooking enjoyable and easy. How does it work? Fresh pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step recipe cards with pictures are delivered to your door each week in a special insulated box. HelloFresh meals can be made in 30 minutes max. They call for less than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. This means you spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping and can use that time to do more of what you love. My favorite HelloFresh meal that I've tried so far are the maple and rosemary glazed pork cutlets. Frankly, it's not something that I would ever attempt on my own, but with HelloFresh's easy-to-use recipe card and my bag of fresh ingredients, I was able to make some succulent pork cutlets with an amazing maple rosemary glaze, together with couscous and a creamy apple salad in just 20 minutes. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com backslash Thread80 and enter the promo code Thread80. That's HelloFresh.com backslash Thread80 and promo code Thread80. Outside the Hilton Hotel in Washington, Hinckley calmly waited behind a rope line with other onlookers and members of the press. Finally, Reagan and his entourage emerged from the hotel. When Reagan came out of the Hilton after giving his, his speech, Hinckley waited until, with a few steps, he was in range of, of being able to hit Reagan. Several news cameras captured what happened next. Reagan was pushed inside the back seat of the limousine, and the motorcade sped away. In a matter of seconds, however, Hinckley had fired six shots, emptying the gun cylinder. Three men, including Reagan's press secretary, James Brady, lay wounded on the sidewalk, and a fourth, the president, was also hit. The bullet that struck Reagan, Hinckley's fifth shot, ricocheted off the right rear quarter panel of the limousine and flew through the small gap between the car's door and its frame to hit the president in his left side. John Hinckley hoped he would be killed at the scene of the crime, 
Instead, he was tackled, forced to the ground, and taken into custody. Like James Holmes, who killed 12 people in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado in 2012, Hinckley would live to go on trial. And like Holmes, he had accomplished his mission. Instantly, Hinckley achieved what he had, he had sought to, which was uh, fame in an effort to get Jodie Foster's attention. And when he was asked about this by a psychiatrist uh, uh, after his assassination attempt and before his trial the following year, uh, whether he succeeded, and he said yes, he achieved everything that he wanted. Of course, accomplishing what you set out to do is not a strong legal defense to the attempted murder of a sitting president. And so John Hinckley's trial would turn on another defense, whether he should be considered not guilty by reason of insanity. John Hinckley Jr. was charged with 13 crimes. His trial in 1982 focused mostly on whether Hinckley was legally insane when he shot the president. The prosecutors, just like the ones in the James Holmes case, spelled out the calculated steps Hinckley took to carry out his mission. Lincoln Kaplan again. The government uh, called Hinckley a hunter and a stalker, and its account of his movements, especially in the six months before uh, he shot President Reagan, emphasized his deliberate purchasing of guns and ammunition, in particular a kind of bullet called a devastator because it had an exploding head. Hinckley had been buying guns since 1979. He spent hours learning to use them on local firing ranges. It was not even the first time he had stalked an American president. Less than a year before, during the 1980 presidential campaign, Hinckley attended campaign rallies for Jimmy Carter, Reagan's predecessor in office. He got within an arm's reach of Carter. But it was just a test run. He was not yet ready to pull the trigger. Such actions and hesitations, however, helped bolster the case that Hinckley knew what he was doing, and more than that, knew the difference between right and wrong. Andrea Alden. And the prosecution said he clearly knew what he was doing was wrong, which was evidenced by the fact that it took him months to get up the nerve to go through with it. Um, evidence that he did things like conceal his weapons when he traveled, which indicated that he had some awareness that there was an illegal component to his actions. And so essentially what the prosecution wanted to say was he clearly knew right from wrong, therefore he is not legally insane. The prosecution called a series of witnesses and experts to argue that Hinckley was not delusional. He was just a fame-seeking narcissist. Richard Bonney is a professor of law and medicine at the University of Virginia. He was a troubled young man. Um, but the core diagnosis and the uh, core set of motivations uh, that were described you know, by the prosecution witnesses basically had to do with uh, uh, wanting to be famous. Uh, and that he felt like a fifth wheel in his family. Uh, he felt like he was a failure. Hinckley was well aware of the reality of his situation, according to prosecutors. He fully appreciated you know, the wrongfulness, you know, of what he was doing. Uh, it's just that it didn't matter, you know, as much to him as, you know, his motivations for being famous. Hinckley's defense attorneys painted a different picture of his state of mind. The defense view was that he was delusional. Uh, and that there was this delusional belief that he had that in some way, uh, if he were to shoot the president, uh, that there would end up, he, could, he would commit suicide and there would then be some magical union uh, between him and Jodie Foster. Hinckley's fixation with Jodie Foster, they suggested, was an obsession. And his failure to build a relationship with her over the preceding year had devastated him. He started to take antidepressants. 
his writing turned dark and suicidal. He continued to try to visit Foster at Yale. In one desperate letter he left at her door, he scribbled, quote, Jody, goodbye. I love you six trillion times. Don't you maybe like me just a little bit? Lincoln Kaplan again. The chronicle that the defense put on about all of his movements in the, in the previous six months uh, left a kind of creepy, oppressive sense in the courtroom that uh, strongly reinforced the narrative as the defense was, was putting it forward. Hinckley's mental state before the shooting was one of despair and depression, according to one of the defense team's psychiatric experts, Dr. William Carpenter. Suicide was at the forefront of his mind, but so was his obsession with Jodie Foster. Richard Bonney again. According to the, the, the defense account, he was so detached from reality and so drawn into his inner world that the enormity of what he was doing, uh, attempting to assassinate the President of the United States, didn't have the emotional connection because, as you know, uh, Dr. Carpenter put it, you know, the President was just a bit player in this drama that was being uh, you know, played out in Hinckley's mind. As the trial went on, lawyers told the jury two competing but very compelling stories about John Hinckley. It was a really great example of the adversarial legal system. Andrea Alden again. Because we have, you know, the prosecution and the defense taking these exact same facts and spinning a wildly different tale. Um, so, for example, Justin, his defense attorney, is talking about how clearly his fixation with Jodie Foster was a delusion that was um, spurred by mental illness. You had the prosecutors saying, uh, no, it's just a normal crush. He's just a dreamer. The stakes were high in the Hinckley case, obviously. A president had been shot. Both sides put forth an extraordinary amount of evidence about what was happening in Hinckley's mind at the moment he pulled the trigger. And, as a result, the trial is a great case study about the insanity defense and its potential pitfalls. Richard Bonney again. Now, with Hinckley, the thing that makes this case so interesting is that um, the experts fundamentally disagreed about what was the matter with Hinckley and about the diagnosis. That disagreement meant that John Hinckley was not the only one on trial in the summer of 1982. The insanity defense itself was on trial. Up next, the surprising verdict in the Hinckley case and the ripples that that verdict continues to have on the law and on society. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Tired of standing idly by while the world goes crazy? Diane Lockhart is, and so is the cast of the critically acclaimed legal drama The Good Fight. Join the fight by watching the new season, now streaming exclusively on CBS All Access. Tune in to see if Diane Lockhart will lead the resistance in a new post-factual world. A world where the lawyers with the best stories triumph over the lawyers with the best facts. Season 3 of The Good Fight throws the standard playbook out the window. New characters, new rip-from-the-news storylines, and a dynamic cast that is more stacked than ever. Christine Baranski is back as the venerable Diane Lockhart. Rose Leslie, Cush Jumbo, and Audra McDonald's characters challenge the patriarchy at every turn while actor Michael Sheen shakes up the screen as infamous lawyer Roland Blum, a.k.a. Corruption Incarnate. You won't want to miss Season 3 of The Good Fight. The resistance starts now. Join the fight by heading on over to cbs.com thread to redeem your free trial of CBS All Access to watch the new season of The Good Fight, now streaming exclusively on CBS All Access. That's cbs.com thread to redeem your free trial of CBS All Access. The insanity defense is a legal construct, but as we have seen in this season already, our understanding of a defendant's mental state always depends on our broader scientific understanding of mental illness and psychiatric disorders. And of course, this understanding changes over time as we learn more about how the human brain works. The Hinckley case happened to come at a pivotal moment in the history of the psychiatric profession. Andrea Alden. Around the early 1980s, psychiatry as a discipline kind of underwent a major reformation, um, which is now referred to as the biomedical turn. And basically, it was a huge effort to science the discipline, um, trying to move it away from Freudian talk therapy and psychoanalysis into something that is medical. Thanks to modern science, we were learning more and more about how mental illness stems from organic brain dysfunction and not bad morals. So at that time that Hinckley was tried, psychiatry was kind of 
undergoing this massive revolution and really changing the way, trying to change the way people thought about mental illness. But at the time, we were really thinking of mental illness as a medical, biological disorder and not, um, you know, something abstract located in like the mind or the soul, something that we couldn't actually, you know, put a finger on and find a medicine for. Just because something is biological, however, does not make it easy to identify, especially after the fact. How can you ever know what somebody knows, right? We couldn't go back in time and be there with him inside his brain at the time that he was pulling the trigger. So it's asking us to make a determination about something that's completely unknowable um, and that does not fit at all with what we understand about mental illness and how it works now. The insanity defense relies on experts and evidence, witnesses and writings. It hinges on a fundamental sense of optimism that we can determine in a court of law whether the accused acted with sufficient criminal intent, whether they knew right from wrong. Sometimes, as the Hinckley case revealed, this optimism is itself somewhat delusional. And there's one particular exchange where I love that the, um, the prosecution is cross-examining, and he said, he kept asking him, so you observed delusions in Mr. Hinckley, and the psychiatrist is trying to explain, you cannot observe somebody's delusion and he says something along the lines of, you can no longer see whether someone is delusional as you can see whether or not they believe in God, right? Ultimately, the decision about what was going on in the defendant's mind comes down to the jury. And the jury in the Hinckley case delivered a verdict that shocked many across the country. John W. Hinckley Jr. has been found not guilty by reason of insanity on all 13 counts. This was a case in which there was much evidence in Hinckley's own hand, in his writings, in his poetry, in his essays, to suggest that he was, in fact, degenerating into a psychotic killer by the time March of 1981 rolled around. Richard Bonney again. If you accept the uh, defense diagnosis of what was the matter with Hinckley, that he was progressively detached from reality, uh, then I think the verdict is actually defensible. The jury themselves clearly seem to accept the more nuanced version of what led John Hinckley to commit his crime. Um, however, the public was much less sympathetic. There was a massive public outcry. Hinckley was sentenced to St. Elizabeth's, a psychiatric hospital in Washington, where he would remain for the next 34 years. He was 61 years old when a federal judge determined in 2016 he was no longer a threat to himself or others. Starting in August, John Hinckley Jr. will be allowed to leave St. Elizabeth's Hospital here in the Washington suburbs for good and live with his mother in Williamsburg full time. He has to stay. The real legacy of Hinckley's trial came in the legal reforms that followed. After his acquittal, there were widespread calls for the abolishment of insanity plea laws. Lincoln Kaplan again. And there were uh, congressional hearings about the insanity defense and then uh, uh, reconsiderations around the country. And the short of it was that uh, in, in the half decade after uh, the Hinckley trial, uh, the insanity defense was reformed in, in 38 states. And it was uh, uh, basically uh, narrowed in a, quite a substantial way. Four states completely abolished the defense. So a lot of courts went back, took, took the less complicated and um, more expansive standards and went back to the very restrictive standards. So in that sense, I think taking us away from 
you know, two centuries of progress in trying to get the law to be a little more nuanced in its conception of what constitutes um, a legal excuse based on severe mental illness and pushing us back to where we were in 1843. That's right, 1843, the middle of the 19th century. We'll get to 1843 later this season. But first, we need to understand more about why the Hinckley verdict was so unthinkable given the 20th century context. The American public was not always so averse to the insanity defense, and it was used to excuse the conduct of those who committed heinous acts, crimes far worse than the one that Lorena Bobbitt was acquitted for in the 1990s. Indeed, the entire idea of temporary insanity appeared somewhat justifiable and even publicly sanctioned provided that the crime had been committed by one with a socially acceptable reason for being out of his or her mind. Next on the thread, the story of a high society love triangle and a jealous husband who took matters into his own hands to dispose of his wife's former lover. In the early years of the 20th century, New York was enjoying an unprecedented period of economic growth and power, but it was also a time of corruption, pleasure, and murder. People thought that the gunshots were part of the show at first. 75 years before John Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan, millions of Americans tuned in for what was billed as the trial of the century. But he said to his attorneys, no way. I'm perfectly sane. I did, I did the act. And in fact, I should have been given a medal. A millionaire businessman shoots and kills another one at point-blank range before hundreds of witnesses on the rooftop of Madison Square Garden. That seems like an open and shut murder case, but almost nothing was as it seemed in the privileged circles of early 20th century New York. And if you had enough money and the right connections, even the criminal law could be bent to your advantage. Red is produced by Robert Kulos, Sophia Perpetua, and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. This episode features Pepper, Jill, and Jack performing the song Unworthy of Your Love by Stephen Sondheim. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on iHeartRadio or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at ozzy.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy.com. That's O-Z-Y.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart.